Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. On today's show, uh, we're going to talk with David Fisher. David uh, has been a sports chaplain uh, with national uh, sport uh, teams and also is the director of a ministry called Friends of Peterborough. And uh, it's a street ministry that has been uh, helping uh, people in poverty for a long time. I want you to meet David Fisher. Let's go now. I'm really glad I have an opportunity to sit with you, David. Uh, I heard about uh, Friends Peterborough uh, through uh, Scott Cooper and, uh, of course, uh, many years ago, uh, 42 years ago, uh, came here to attend Bible College in Peterborough. And uh, I know that Peterborough's been a long part of your story. Yes. Um, so the podcast talks about God at work in Canadian cities. So um, you would be one of the probably people in this city that have been here a long time and had um, one ear to the ground to hear what God is, what, what's happening on the street, and another ear to hear what God is saying to, to the church. Right. You know, so... Why don't we just uh, maybe start off and talk, first of all, about Friends Peterborough, this uh, um, lovely storefront office we're sitting in. What is this place, and how did it get here? Well, this place is a place of uh, comfort and, and help for people that pop in. I mean, our slogan is, we offer hope, help, and a hand up, and uh, that's what we've been doing for 11 years now, uh, selling outreach center. They had an idea that they wanted to start a humanitarian organization in downtown Peterborough that would reach out to uh, our community without being openly Christian, but operating with Christian values and treating people the way the way Jesus would. Yeah. And so I was asked by the pastor, Brian Mahood, if I would kind of head up the, uh, the ministry. Mm-hmm. He knew me from many years ago when I owned a Christian bookstore here, so he thought I would be uh, the ideal person to head up Friends Peterborough. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he thought that because I love what I do. I yeah. enjoy being here. So t- tell me, what um, what does that uh, hand up look like? Well, um, a lot of people come in looking for a handout, <laughs> and uh, that's not something we do. I don't bring money with me, so I can honestly say I don't have any money to give you. But it's just helping them with uh, a number of different things that uh, they might not be able to get help with anywhere else, uh, like offering free income tax service all year round mm. to a lot of our clients. Many of them are on social assistance, some of them below the poverty level. And if they don't file their taxes, uh, they miss out on a lot of the benefits that they would get. So that's part of the hand up. Um, yeah, you're not, one, you're not handing out money, you're helping them to find the money that's already there. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's a big part of what we do. When we launched this 11 years ago, uh, doing income tax returns wasn't really even in the plan. But uh, then my associate, my my helper here, the other staff person, he had trained with uh, H&R Block to do that. And he said, well... Why don't I come along and, and do income tax for people? I'm so glad he suggested that because that's a big part of what we do. Well, just in the few minutes that uh, we were sitting here getting ready to record, uh, there was, I think, 
three three customers in a phone call within a few minutes, and uh, I'm sure there are times when it's uh, extra busy, times not as much, but uh, uh, that's something that, that maybe people, if, if their life is well organized and they've got a bookkeeper that does their taxes or or they they're a do-it-yourselfer and you know they're they they're used to doing it but what what's kind of the the backstory that you find when somebody's on ODSP or uh, Ontario Works living below the poverty line um, they might think why should I bother doing my taxes because you know um, that's a lot of work and I don't know what to do and I don't know where the papers are. Like right. what, what's, why, why would we want to help somebody to do their taxes? Well, they might not uh, do their taxes because they don't make enough to pay tax, but still if they file their tax, then they're able to get their GST. Uh, that's quarterly and they're yeah. trillion monthly. Mm -hmm. And the last few years have been what, what was called the carbon tax rebate. They, they can get those if they don't file, they're missing out on that. And sometimes they don't even realize that. And so part of what we do is educate people and say, you should file mm -hmm. for this reason and, and come here because it'll be free and we can help you with, with other things as well. Uh, sometimes they, they don't even have their T5007 slip, which is like a T4 mm -hmm. slip. Uh, from ODSP because they've lost it and I hear that story a lot yeah and uh, I tell them just go to the office which is only half a block away and they'll print off a replacement copy and then they come back and we, yeah uh, we file it and uh, they're always excited when they get that retroactive payment because they haven't yeah. filed for three years yeah. sometimes they'll blow it right away <laughs> but uh, they're glad to get it yeah yeah <laughs> Well, it's kind of nice to be able once in a while to have a little bit of money to blow, isn't it? It is. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, um, so it's it's a point of reference for people here. It's a hand up. Um, uh, talk to me, maybe uh, the in the eleven years, is there uh, you know a story or two of connections that you had with somebody that you felt was especially meaningful, at least at least for you? Well, looking back, and this would be maybe nine or ten years shortly after we opened, uh, we, we had been told that we're not supposed to really preach at anybody or talk about Jesus unless they ask us. Right. And so one day a man drove past the office, saw the sign, Friends Peterborough offering help, hope, and a hand up. And he thought, I wonder what that's about. He drove around the block and came back. And uh, that was just just after one o'clock. And he came in and, and I began to talk to him. And I could see that he was here because he wanted to meet Jesus. Hmm. And I thought, this is great. But Pastor Brian and the leadership from the church are going to be here at two o'clock. And if they come in and I'm praying with this man, <laughs> what are they going to think? Anyways, we had the joy of leading them to the Lord here. Just because he saw the sign and he thought, I'm going to go and check check that place out. And so that that's one story that, that I'll never yeah. forget. And yeah. uh, 
So, and he reminds me from time to time on Facebook about that, that special day mm. when he came to know the Lord wow. in French Peterborough. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so he was still here when, when, when Pastor, Pastor Brian up, yeah. and, and Gordon McNeven, who is basically my yeah. boss, they came in. And so I introduced my friend as, as their brother in Christ now, <laughs> as, a, as a new believer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's 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 uh, you know I think there's a uh, there's there's a philosophy behind what you're describing there, and that is that um, we don't set up a um, a phony movie set in order to draw people in so that we can clamp down with the gospel. Right. No, this is this is part of the mission of. Of God that we love our neighbor exactly and so every time you love your neighbor it's the Holy Spirit that that does the setup so that if somebody's looking uh, for uh, you know that middle word hope you know yeah. uh, that uh, the door opens but mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't doesn't mean it's it's wrong to tell people about Jesus but I, it might be wrong if we run ahead of the Holy Spirit instead right. of yeah. um, just doing our part of the mission, which is first of all to love our neighbor as ourselves, yeah. and as as part of doing the income tax, there are questions that we ask, like what's your marital status? Mm-hmm. There's a story, and then this comes up. Well, yeah. I was married until a couple of weeks ago, and um, then they have then they start sharing their story. Yeah, and then you can show empathy and, and compassion. And as the Holy Spirit leads, then yeah. bring Jesus into the conversation, yep. and that that happens often. Mm-hmm. And so, so many doors can open without just <laughs> yeah. preaching right off the bat. Yeah. If, if we were openly Christian, mm-hmm. if we had a big lit cross in the window, people would just keep walking by, right? Because they might have been turned off by the church when they were young or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing out there that indicates that uh, we're Christian-based. Right. But hopefully, just from talking to us, they'll find out that uh, it's a place where they're loved and yeah. cared for. Yeah, that's good. So what, what about what about your journey, David? Uh, how did how did you come to Jesus? And was that a was that a, a easy step, or did that did you come kicking and screaming? <laughs> it, it was an easy step. Uh, our family, well, I was born and raised here in Peterborough. My dad got transferred to Toronto when I was six years old. And so we moved to Leaside area in Toronto. We attended the church, uh, Leaside Bible Chapel. And part of their church was an outreach called Young Canada Bible Hour, a radio program. And so different ones in our Sunday school would read the scripture verse as they were taping the program. So this time it was my turn to read the verse, and it was Ephesians 2, verse 1, which says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and in sins. So then, eight days later, we taped on a Saturday, the, a week later on the Sunday morning, my mother and I turned on the radio and just to hear what I sounded like on the radio. <laughs> and here's me reading this story. Quoting this verse, I had no idea what the quicken meant as a six-year-old boy. I said, Mom, what does that mean? 
She said to quicken means to make alive and, and all of us are sinners. The Bible says all of us have sinned and she explained that to me. And as a six-year-old, I believe that the Holy Spirit gave me enough understanding mm -hmm. of what the gospel was that, that I, I said, Mom, I want to be a Christian. Yeah. We got down on our knees at the kitchen table and Mom prayed with me and I prayed. And that was April 6, 1952, and I'll never forget that day. And that was wow. the start of this long Christian journey. It's been over 70 years that I've been on this pilgrimage on my way home. Mm, what, a, what a beautiful thing for a mom and her six-year-old son to, to have that experience together. Yes. Wow. Nobody else was up yet. And so just mom and myself <laughs> in the kitchen. And yeah. So when, once you, uh, from a very early age, you, uh, you heard and you believed. You, you, in a, that six-year-old way, you reached out in faith to, to God through Jesus. And, and then, you know, you, you get into your uh, teen years and school and, and uh, on into adulthood. And, and um, when did you sense that, um, that your life would be focused primarily around serving the Lord and, and, uh, and his people and, and the world around you. The interesting thing is that in high school, I was kind of riding the fence because uh, I thought if I acted like Christian or <laughs> what Christians were like, uh, I wouldn't have any friends. And so I was kind of riding the fence and feeling guilty about it because I, I did love the Lord. I wanted to serve him. Yeah. And so as soon as I got out of high school, I had this desire to get into some kind of ministry. And so even as a 19, 20 year old, uh, I started something called Couriers for Christ. And it was myself and several other young people. And we would do open air services and uh, do children's meetings in small wow. towns. And so that was, that was just the way I was wired. I wanted to get out and, and, and serve the Lord that way. But as, as a young boy, I loved books. Mm -hmm. The best gift I could have was a, a book at Christmas time or a Sunday school gift for perfect attendance was yeah. a book. And that's, I loved it. <laughs> and, uh, but anyhow, so back in those early, in my early twenties, because of my love of books, I really wanted to own a Christian bookstore. Wow. And uh, from, from a young age, yes, you from, from, yeah, I thought yeah. books, I'd love to have a Christian bookstore. And so when I was 26 years old, I, I bought the existing store in Peterborough, heard that it was for sale. What was it called back then? It was then? called the Ambassador Bible Bookstore. Hmm. And I don't know if you ever went there when you were going to Bible school. I did, on, on Water Street. Yeah. yeah. But uh, friendships were made back then in those, it was, I had the store for 15 years. Mm -hmm. Friendships were made back then that continue to this day. Hmm. And yesterday, a man came in and uh, he's been a supporter of our ministry for years. He came in and he, he just felt led to come in and say thank you for 
because he came to know the Lord as a result of our store. Wow. And he wanted to thank me again for, for being there. And lots of good things happened there. I mean, I could tell you great stories, but uh, mm -hmm. we've got all those other years of my life to talk about. But uh, it was it was a wonderful 15 years to be there and just yeah. to serve people. Uh, it's interesting how, you know, the the world of uh, books is slipping away from us with the uh, with the advent of the internet. I, I, I don't think that um, people are reading less. They're just reading on a screen. They're um, they're they're reading all day long in different different ways. Right. But yeah. but not that same discipline of you know the 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 hardcover and the paper in front of them in the quiet room, right? And I will, that's, I'll always Did love that part of it. I just speak your love language right there? Yeah. <laughs> I will never read a book on Kindle or some of these electronic no, things. No, you love. I love the feel of a book. Yeah. And yeah. the funny thing is I I love the smell of a new book even. Yeah. That people don't think that's crazy. But yeah, I thought I've got other friends, a pastor friend in town. He, he says, I like to smell books too. Yeah. But, well, as as a pastor, I mean, I've been doing it long enough that when I was in Bible college and then into ministry, um, it was expected you'd have an office and you'd have shelves and you'd have lots of commentaries and relevant, you know, Christian writings and and uh, but uh, the truth is that that now at my church I don't even have an office. I have a laptop and a cell phone yeah. that I set up anywhere in the building, or I'm, I'm mobile. I am I am the office, right. and uh, all of my books I just donated them or gave them away to the church library, and and all of the reference works that I depend on for my studies, uh, I I have a subscription online, and, mm -hmm. and you know so so the. Um, the, the Christian bookstore, unfortunately, has gone the way of Blockbuster. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Changing a, few of, a few of them left, but not very many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, t talk a bit about, um, you know, um, the, uh, the the transition out of the bookstore. What, what, you, what did you do next? Well, after I left the bookstore... Uh, my marriage broke down. That's part of the reason why I left the Christian bookstore. It was yeah. very difficult to do because I loved what I did. And so I was uh, looking for something to do for about a year. I was, I hate the word unemployed, but I just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And I, I started attending the People's Church in Toronto. And, and they knew about my chaplaincy work, which I was doing simultaneously when I had the bookstore. And they asked me if I would come to the People's Church and head up the singles ministry. Hmm. And uh, I was feeling broken and, and just wondering how God could use me at that point in my life. And for them to ask me if I would do that, I just felt that that was, that was a really restorative or a, or a healing part yeah. of my life. Was that the 80s, you said? Yeah, it was 80, 87 yeah. when I started at, at the People's Church. And uh, just to be part of a, of a 
church like that and to be yeah. on the staff, it all of a sudden I felt like my life was uh, worth yeah. living again. So yeah, it it was good. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I met well, my wife Carol in, in the singles ministry. Thank God, eh? Yes. Yeah. You know, when I think about, you know, church 30 years ago, 35 years ago, and, and church now, um, some of the attitudes uh, within the Christian community towards uh, divorce and remarriage, uh, and and how there's been a, I would say, a, a, a softening of, uh, and a much more of a, an accept, acceptance of, yeah, this is a hardship that, Many people go through, mm -hmm. um, but in in '87, around then, uh, there would have been those feelings of uh, I, as a Christian leader, have you know um, uh, a ruined reputation. Exactly. And yeah. and do you want to talk a bit about just how you know God walked you through those feelings of shame and and failure mm -hmm. you know having a failed marriage and and uh, how he he brought you around to a, a new place where you were able to i would say reconcile the past right i don't know that i've ever completely reconciled the past because i, I still believe i mean as you said uh, the church's stance on some of these things has softened which i I don't know whether I like that or not, because uh, I still believe that God hates divorce. I don't think that's, that's his uh, perfect plan by any means. And even though my marriage breakdown wasn't due to infidelity or anything like that, it was just a loveless marriage. There was still the, the guilt and the shame of it all. And uh, just the fact that somebody would, would want me to help other people that were going through the same thing yeah that that meant a lot to me yeah and so being in that singles ministry i had opportunities to talk to other people that were going through or had gone through yeah. that marriage breakdown and i thought that was a gift of god to uh and who would have thought that i would be part of what then might have been the biggest evangelical church in Canada, mm -hmm. and I would be a part of that church after after what after what I've gone through. Yeah. And I thought I I'm, thought I'm no longer over. worthy to yeah to do anything. Yeah. So that was a, a very significant part of my journey. Yeah. And I'll forever be grateful for for that and yeah. for the people at the leadership at the church for. Yeah. for taking me on yeah you know it's uh, the, the some of the I, I wonder you know um, because you went through that um, great fracturing or brokenness within yourself did that give you more openness towards other people who were hurting and broken yeah so it did mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that you're not um, you know, somebody comes comes here to to get help. You, you're not looking at down on them, right? Because you understand, okay, something's in their life. Um, there's there's areas of brokenness, and and I can identify with with that. I can I can love them. Yeah, I can care for them. Yeah, 
there's a man in town who's very involved in the entertainment industry. As far as I know, he's not a believer. But uh, I did an interview on the radio station that he was part of. And he's listening to me talk and he, he says, Friends, Peterborough, no judgment, no barriers. And I thought, that's right. I'd never thought of it that way. But yeah. for him to say that, and since he said that, I've thought, we have to maintain that. that we're, we're not judgmental right. when people come in. And there's no barriers. There's nothing that would keep somebody away from yeah. from being welcomed here. Yeah, and that, and that's something we have to, I think, enculturate in into the life of the local church. Yeah. Yeah, that mm -hmm. that you know that uh, we're not putting up barriers. We're not giving you reasons to stay away. Right. But you know, whosoever will may come. Yeah. Yeah. See, my, from my background, I was very judgmental for, for many years. Yeah. And there were certain things that people did that I thought, oh, boy. And they say they're a Christian. Yeah. And so it took a long time to, to change that, that way of thinking. Yeah. And I, I, I still struggle with it, yeah. and, but not near as much. And, and uh, so... Yeah, no judgment. I think that's what I strive mm. strive for, and that would probably um, bode well or connect well with the work you've done in in chaplaincy as well. Right. So, talk to me about uh, chaplaincy. What? How that? How that uh, creep into your life? And uh, what's what did that look like? And is some of that still there? Well, I've always loved books and baseballs and the Bible. So, anyway, so no, <laughs> I three B's. Yes, I've been a baseball fan since I was a little kid, and like little, I mean, I had the Mickey Mantle card that, that was it sold for maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars recently. <laughs> I had one when I was living in Leaside, but that's long gone. Yeah, but uh, always loved baseball. And so back in 1975, I wrote to a uh, Montreal Expo's young catcher, Gary Carter, and I had the bookstore dead, and I thought, I'd love to go to Montreal and give everybody a, a Bible. Mm. So I wrote him, and he said, yeah, that's a possibility. You could do that as part of a chapel service. And this was late 75, and I, so we set up a date in, in May of 1976 for me to go to Montreal, and I'm driving early Sunday morning with this box of Bibles, thinking, am I going just as a fan, or am I going to give out the Word of God that can change lives forever? Wait a minute, ministry is not supposed to be this much fun. <laughs> I know, and I'm, I was nervous, but I was excited too. Yeah. And anyways, so got there, and they had the, I mean, baseball chapel started in 1973, so that all baseball team, professional baseball teams could have a, 20-minute chapel at the ballpark on a Sunday morning because they couldn't get to church because of their schedule. And so the Bible presentation was tagged on at the end uh, of the service. And uh, so that, that Sunday, I met a lot of the players and became friends with several of them that, that day, one of whom continues to support me financially here at Friends Peterborough. I just got a check from him 
a week or two ago. And so that all started that Sunday in Montreal. <clears throat> and uh, so in 1977, the founder of Baseball Chapel, he and I had become close through writing letters back and forth. And he said, the Jays have a franchise now. Would you like to head up the chapel program in Toronto? I prayed about it for about 30 seconds. <laughs> no, I said, yes, I, I would love to do that. Yeah. And so that door opens. And I, I, now, you know, people who have their teams, you know, also have the teams that they can't stand. Yes. And, I, and would you be, if God called you, would you be a chaplain to the team that you can't stand? I would. Because part of that Jay's chaplaincy was uh, we would do a chapel for the visiting team. Yes. Every Sunday morning, just after they got to the ballpark, they'd get changed into their, uh, into their uniform. And uh, we'd do a 20-minute chapel for the Yankees while the Jays were having batting practice. Then the Jays would come off the field, um, put on a clean t-shirt and grab a bowl of soup or something and then come into the room where we had chapel we do the same for them mm -hmm. for 20 minutes so i got to do chapel for teams i didn't like mm -hmm. there weren't really any that i didn't like that much because i i developed friendships on with players on all the teams but yeah. uh, then we did a, a short one for the umpires as well mm. just before the game hi my name is ej and I want to invite you to come to Our City Conference on February 25th, 2023. Our City Conference is an urban ministry training event for people serving in urban ministry contexts. Our cities matter. Our city matters. In the 2021 census, it said that 73.7% .7 of Canada's population live in urban centers. We are intentionally designing this event to help give urban ministry practitioners better tools on how they can serve their community better. We are praying that this event will not only encourage you and help you to serve your community better. We're also hoping that a bunch of us can get together and learn from one another. Register today, go to our website, ourcitytoronto.ca. We'll even feed you. Food is part of the registration. Our City, Jane and Finch, February 25th, 2023. See you there. So I did that with... They're kind of uh, like the uh, scribes and Pharisees <laughs> of baseball, right? <laughs> right. There, there was one, one, um, one, one umpire, he was such a strong Christian. I'd come in and he'd say, David, let, let me just, let me share with, with my uh, fellow umpires. and Let me pray for you. And it was though I was the recipient <laughs> of all this goodwill on that Sunday morning. But, uh, so I did that for 29 seasons with the Jays. And simultaneously for and 11 said, with the Expos. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, God called me and then I, and then I made the call on the tone. <laughs> so, that, yeah, that was 2005. And then I, mm -hmm. I left that, that ministry. But I was doing the Peterborough Peets as well from 96 until 2010. So mm -hmm. for 14 years with our local hockey team. And uh, that was that was a fruitful ministry. 
Because mm. these guys are away from home for the first time in their lives. They come here as a 16-year-old. And, wow. and uh, parents were often worried about how their kids would do in a new city and whatnot. And our general manager with the Peets was amazing. Uh, yeah, Jeff Tui, he he would use what we were doing with the players in our in our chapel program as a recruiting tool, saying, if your son wow. comes to Peterborough, uh, we've got a man that will look after them, and and he's a he's a Christian, and he'll have a chapel program, but he'll be a friend to them and help them in other areas of their lives too, and so that that was an amazing endorsement by the uh, general manager. With um, so you know, chaplaincy is is different than being a, a pastor in a local church or some kind of um, uh, you know uh, ministry to Christians. Uh, although there will be Christians on the teams, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you're providing spiritual and religious care to uh, people that have. Uh, little to no faith or or have a different different idea you know so how talk to me a bit about chaplaincy what 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 are some of the the guiding principles or values that you kept in mind as as you were there um, in that role well it was easy like let's just pick the, the jays for example it was easy to have Easy to talk about failure? <clears throat> no, <laughs> it was easy to have favorites, but you sh- which you shouldn't have. I mean, there's 25 guys on the roster, <clears throat> and and some of them were some of them were solid, strong Christians who were very welcoming and were always at chapel, always at Bible study, which we had every Wednesday afternoon. But there there were others that kind of I think frowned on what on me and what I was there for. And I had to learn to uh, <clears throat> try to befriend them. And if they did well, congratulate them and and try to let them know that I wasn't this high and mighty religious guy, but I was just a friend. Yeah. And that, that was very important just to develop that friendship. Yeah, so <clears throat> chaplaincy um, is very dependent on being available as a friend, but also maybe being present as they're going through things, right? Exactly. So, what kind of what kind of experiences, um, heartaches, uh, difficulties were you uh, privy to as a chaplain? There were there were <coughs> excuse me a number of occasions. I'm thinking of one in particular where a, a player who was really struggling. A pitcher was really struggling. And I thought, I'm going to write him a note. I mean, I didn't say earlier in our conversation that letter writing became a huge part of my life. And uh, a ministry was formed called Epistle Sports Ministries. And Epistle, even though we know what it is in the Bible, yeah. letters, letters that Paul yeah. and Peter others wrote. Encountering professionals in sports through letters of encouragement. That's ah. and so I developed this ministry and I wrote literally hundreds and hundreds of cards and letters to athletes. But this Blue Jay player in particular, 
he had a terrible outing on, on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And he was booed off the field. And I thought, he needs a note of encouragement. So I wrote him one. And Sunday morning, I took it and handed it to him. And it was the start of a turning point in his life. And we have talked on the phone here several times in recent years. And he made a statement to me that I'll never forget. And he, back then, even though I was just a couple of years older than him, he called me Mr. Fisher. And he still does. And on the telephone, he said, Mr. Fisher, I want to tell you, if it wasn't for you, I'd be on my way to hell. Hmm. And it was because of that note of encouragement. Many, many of these players that didn't come to chapel, who seemed to be maybe opposed to me being around, mm -hmm. when they would have a rough time, I'd send them a note of encouragement. Mm -hmm. And some of those guys ended up coming to our chapel program. Mm -hmm. I remember having lunch at the, uh, in the restaurant at the hotel at Skydome with a Christian player and we were looking out on the field and some of them had come early to have uh, infield practice and batting practice and there was one guy that was a real rebel and uh, so the guy I'm having lunch with and I were looking down and we're seeing this guy and we prayed for him that he would that he would come to our Bible study and so another Christian on the team, unbeknownst to us, had invited him to come that day. So we had prayed for him up in the restaurant, looking out over the field. And then we go to the room where we had our study. And this other Christian brought this rebel in. And he became a Christian. Mm. And uh, he's one of those guys that you would never have thought that would, would embrace. Yeah love of God the way God had embraced him and yeah it was amazing to see yeah so just just caring for people mm -hmm. showing compassion mm -hmm. when they were going through tough times yeah um, it wasn't always easy because sometimes sometimes it was kind of a person that was hard to love but uh, yeah I, I think <clears throat> whatever the setting has been you've always had um, you know, somewhat of a pastoral heart for people, whether it's leading them to the right book in a bookstore, whether it's uh, encouraging and helping somebody in a singles group, whether it's, uh, you know, ministering to, to people in a sports team, whether it's helping somebody with their income tax here. And it's like there's, you've got, we're somewhere way back, you were given a a set of eyes and ears that would tune into that right you know and um and really that's that's been consistent through your adult life it has been yeah and uh thank you for reminding me of that because my heart for these people has been the same yeah it was just a different group of people over the years that uh, that i had the opportunity to uh to minister to I won't ask how many years cumulatively you've lived in Peterborough, but I imagine it's it's in the decades. It, it was. I I mean, as a young boy, when I became a Christian, we had lived in Toronto for two years. Yeah. And then I moved when I went to 
People's Church. I was there for seven. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, seven and two is nine. And I'm 77. So, well, you look younger pretty, than pretty, that. Pretty long time, yeah. 68 years or whatever it is yeah. in Peterborough. Yeah. What, it, yeah, I was thinking that just earlier this week, uh, was looking at the life of Daniel and how he, uh, well, he, he had a 70 year run um, as an advisor to, to, to leaders, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, through through the shift and change of empires, and through the, the years of captivity, and and uh, he was probably just sixteen years old or so when he went into captivity, and then he just was faithful in that office right. that God gave him all the way through, and so. When we come to looking at being in one place over a long period of time, I'm thinking of you in, in Peterborough for, right. you know, let's, let's say close to 70 years. Mm -hmm. what, what have you, what are some of the really significant shifts that you've seen in, in your city? Um, I mean, I, I mean, we could probably spend the next four hours talking about all the changes, but in in terms of the work of the kingdom of God, in, in terms of the uh, the shape of the church in this city, the shape of God's people, the mm -hmm. uh, the the the, uh, the things that are now being emphasized that maybe weren't emphasized before, some of those kinds of things, just any. Um, and may, and maybe this will be our last question, you know, just uh, some observations uh, from looking faithfully for a long time at your city. As a, as a young boy growing up, and even in my Christian bookstore years, the church in Peterborough, seemed, there were all these, there were a lot of evangelical churches here that were content to just be that small group of people without reaching out to the community. And it was a, there was a strong Christian presence in the city, in those buildings, mm -hmm. but not, nothing was seemed to be carried out into the streets or into the, into the city itself. I remember one of the first things that, I did in those early years, in my early 20s, we had a concert in the park and a Christian concert across from City Hall. And I thought that that was a way to kind of reach out to our city. And I remember a preacher came to me and after it was over and he said in the Bible, David served his generation well. And he said that to me and, and I thought, that I, I want to be able to reach out, but I, I think over these many years, we haven't been. And the, I don't know how to say this because now, as I grew up, uh, I remember we lived about a block away from the, the town drunk, mm -hmm. and I thought he was the only drunk in the city. <laughs> and now here, it, with with the increase in crime and the increase in 
with the opioid crisis and, and the homelessness, I've seen the city change drastically yeah. in the last, even in the last 10, 11 years that I've been here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the church is still off there doing their own thing. But there's a few of them that are reaching out to the community. Yeah. And when Scott Cooper, when I found out about what Scott was doing about, with street level advocacy, I thought this is what we need. And there's other, there's other Disciple the City and other groups in town that are now realizing that we got to go out there. Yeah, and, and, just... and reach these people because they're not coming into our churches. And I think uh, I think our city is in bad shape compared to other cities this size, and uh, the amount of homeless people, the number of people that are dying from opioids—it's frightening. And the city is ripe for a revival yeah. if if we have people that are willing and able to to go out and and. Uh, reach them. That's why what Scott Cooper is doing and other people in our city that have this burden. I think our understanding of revival historically has been that all the people will come to church right. and get saved and uh, start to live a Christian life. But if there's a winter revival in Peterborough. It might be that the revival is that we need to the church to be revived back to the mission, to 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 go, yeah, and to love our neighbor, right, and, and to find uh, the the path to to bring others to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, and and, and I, I live six hours drive away in Windsor, Ontario, and. And that's if the traffic's good, you know. But uh, what what strikes me, you know, is that uh, something very unique is is stirring in in Peterborough. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, I, I'm I'm glad to to take this time with you and and to hear your perspective. And I respect it because, you know, you've you've been. You've been uh, you've been like a Daniel. You've been in place through many many changes, and uh, and so your your heart is so important. And and what God wants to do in in Peterborough, and I think in every city, um, you know, you've uh, you've been tracking that for a long time. And uh, so, anyways, I've, I've been tracking it, but. Uh... I don't want you to make me out to be some kind of a hero because I've had my struggles as well. Yeah. But uh, but I can attest to the fact that God is faithful. Well, we, we only have one real hero. Yes. And uh, the rest of us, um, you know, we're, we're just still learning how to follow him. Yeah. I, I wrote a poem. I wrote a, a four-line poem about 15 years ago. A few years later, I wrote the second verse of it, and then about a year and a half ago, I wrote you know, the third by, verse. By heart, I do. Oh, well, let's close with that. Because uh, God has provided, I've lived by faith for many, many years without any guaranteed income. 
other than the promises of God in his word. Here's the poem, our great high priest above in righteousness arrayed presents our every need to God before we've even prayed. Jehovah is his name, our needs he will provide. His word declares it to be true and he has never lied. Now, after all these years, gray hair adorns my head. Yet from a child, I can attest, I've never begged for bread. God has been faithful. Even when I wasn't, he continued to be faithful. And I praise him and thank him for that, for his provision for every need. Amen to that. Amen. Thank you so much, David. Thanks, Kevin. Great being my with pleasure. You. On our next episode, we're going to have a, an interview with Wendy Burton. Uh, Wendy is a, uh, a woman who uh, began uh, informally to uh, lead a church in a Starbucks. Uh, she lives um, in the Oshawa area, and uh, it's uh, quite a fascinating story listening to how people at Starbucks uh, were just open to conversations. And uh, so there's quite a story to be heard. So do come back. And uh, this is also the last episode of season three for Sidewalk Skyline podcast. And uh, it's hard to believe we're already three years deep exploring God at work in Canadian cities. I wonder how many more years we can go and how many more people there are to talk to that are doing something great for God in the cities of Canada. Uh, thanks for uh, listening in and uh, we'll be back uh, January 1st, 2023 with our next episode.